Get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Foos. Welcome to Universal Joint Podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, Dustin Fuse and I are recording this on Tuesday, May 28th, which is just three days away from when Disneyland Park opens Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and just two and a half weeks away from when Universal's Islands Adventure is opens its new Hagrid's Magical Creatures motorbike adventure. Though, just today, Dustin, we got news about the opening of the first side of Endless Summer. The first part of the hotel, 750 rooms, opens on June 27th, and they've just begun talking up the menu that they're going to be serving over there. I think the Orlando Business Journal just ran a piece about it. You know, with, with menus, it's, it's always exciting to see what the different personalities within the creative team are, are coming up with. And Surfside Docs is a unique style, the Surfside Inn, Inn and Suites. Now we're talking about a eatery called the Beach Break Cafe, perfectly mm-hmm. to theme. Surfer-inspired dishes featuring Southern California flavors and fresh ingredients, food trucks and backyard barbecue. And as soon as they mention barbecue, I'm all in. What do you think? Yeah, it certainly is a California beach-inspired menu. For example, we have the Pipeline Burger. We've got a Southern Cal Cobb salad. They have even a Tofu Power Bowl. That hotel opens on, on June 27th, which is just two weeks after Hagrid. Yeah. So, again, we have these dates for the Universal Lander Resort. But if you, we pivot to California, we are still waiting on a, a date for the Jurassic World attraction. Yeah. We had news break just this week that Chris Pratt, Bryce Dyke, Dallas Howard, and B.D. Wong are going to be reprising the characters that they played in the Jurassic World movies mm-hmm. as part of filmed elements of this attraction. All we have is summer 2019, and we're basically at this point three and a half weeks out from the start of summer. So, Well, and, and have you been seeing some of the, uh, not just photos, but there's videos of the attraction going through their cycles. So they have mm-hmm. the ride vehicles, the boats in, you know, the water and they're doing mm-hmm. daytime splashdown running through everything. All the the effects are are up and running. And actually, we saw a, a video where you could actually overhear the audio of Chris Pratt. So oh. there's a lot of these types of things showing up. And it's amazing for me to look at it before the grand mm-hmm. opening, whenever that's going to be, because the sheer scope of this land, this Jurassic mm. World, is night and day to Jurassic Park. But it's it's going to be very cool. As part of the announcement of Chris Pratt, Price, Dallas Howard, and B.D. Wong, mm-hmm. they begin to talk about one of the particular effects that will be in the attraction. And when you go to a Disney theme park and you get in line for the Haunted Mansion and it's a beautiful, bright summer day, and then you step inside and you eventually would make your way to that that hallway outside of the load area where they're doing the storm effects, mm-hmm. you know, and you're seeing the lightning and the wind blowing outside. And it's just, there's always this story disconnect. It's like, wait a minute, it was wonderful weather outside. I get inside the attraction and suddenly it's dark, it's stormy. Yep. You know, it did, doesn't necessarily take you all the way out of the experience, but... There is a disconnect. Now, that's similar to uh, Pirates as well. When you get onto the, the boat and you go around the corner and you you hear the winds and you're like, okay, I'm going into... And they're setting the stage. I get it. Toy Story Mania, same thing. You're being shrunk down to the size of a toy, but you never actually get shrunk back up after leaving. But this is cool. On the previous Universal Joint, I think we talked about the Mosbasaurus, that 60-foot-long alligator kind of a thing that took the big dinosaur out in the original Jurassic World. It also picked off the um, the assistant. Yeah, yeah, just very hungry creature. Yep. Okay, anyway, we, we talked about the sequence where you come around a corner and they use these giant projection screens to sell you that you're looking into a 3.5 million gallon tank and, and then it comes bashing up the ground against the glass and it leaks. But what they're doing, and this is something that evidently Universal Creative set up with ILM, is that... For the first time ever, 
the ride film will reflect what time it actually is in the real world. Oh, wow. So the aquarium observatory, as we know it from the film, was basically an outdoor arena. Mm-hmm. If you get on this, this Jurassic World ride at Universal Studios Hollywood, and it's 12 noon, as you go through this portion of the attraction, the lighting in the, the faux tank will sell you, okay, so the sun's directly overhead, so it's a brightly lit tank. On the other hand, if you're there at, at Universal Studios Hollywood and, you know, on the summer night when the parks open till 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night and you get on this attraction where there's a full moon, you will come around the corner and here's, you know, again, this is faux $3.5 million or a gallon tank, but your only light source is the moon mm-hmm. directly overhead. So you have the, you know, dark shadows and what ILM has set up for Universal Creative is so flexible if you're in the park on a day when it's raining you'll get on the attraction and you'll be able to supposedly be able to look up while you're going by in the boat scene and see the surface of the tank and you can actually see you know not only the gray sky of the rainy day but you can see the surface being pitted by individual raindrops that's crazy Mm -hmm. i mean i I love that this is happening to you right now because look it's raining or you know that sort of thing so i mean i i just i love that they're willing to do this level of storytelling with in what is let's be honest here dustin this is a basically a redo of a pre-existing attraction yeah and and while we're discussing jurassic park stuff we we have to pivot to orlando quickly and discuss project 791 now before we jump back there was another little hidden thing that came out very recently within the last uh, couple of days. It's actually not going to only be Blue that will be meeting guests at the Universal uh, Hollywood area. They're actually going to be hatching unique dinosaurs that will be in the same Raptor Encounter area. What that means, we don't quite know, but... The style that is being adapted to that area where the old Raptor Encounter is versus where we are now is very exciting. And all the team members are kind of, they're not, uh, you know, saying, no, this isn't going to happen. They are sticking to script and it's brilliant. I love when everyone is coming together as a team to tell a story. So that's something that's been that's come out just recently, that there's going to be more than just blue. OK, well, again, pivoting back to Orlando, to Universal Islands of Adventure. And uh, oddly enough, again, you know, we just had the Raptor encounter there switch sides of the street yep. to make room for this construction. But all we know so far about this project is it's called Project 791. Mm-hmm. It's they're working on a 1.3 size acre spot right down by the water the central lagoon at isles adventure the 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 space that's just beyond the jurassic park discovery center Mm -hmm. we've heard rumors of a a raptor themed name for this thing right yes with names very similar to hagrid's uh magical creatures motorbike adventure i'm assuming Mm -hmm. that it's going to have something to do with the raptor but uh, i don't know what have you heard all i've heard so far is that We've got a 2021 launch date on this. Yes. Thing, that it's supposed to be completed by then, be up and running. And I, I'm assuming, given how quickly this is probably going to come together, I mean, you know, they, they, they're really zooming along with the construction. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I get it from their side of the fence. It's like, do you really want to follow a coaster with a coaster that maybe you want some breathing space between when Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure opens? Mm-hmm. But I, I guess, again, pivoting to things that we're waiting on, I mean, what is the deal with Project 126, which is the replacement for Terminator 2 3D? That attraction closed on uh, Hollywood Boulevard at Universal Studios Florida uh, back in October of 2017. At that time, we were told as a replacement, we were going to get a all-new live-action experience based on a high-energy Universal franchise. And we were told that this would open in 2019. And we're seconds away from June right now, Dustin. Meanwhile, just up the street, we had the patisserie, I believe it was called, closed. And, you know, we've, we've had 
of the Today Show Cafe. Mm-hmm. Again, not only has it finished its soft opening since we last recorded, Al Roker came to town on May uh, 16th and did the grand opening. And that grand opening was incredible to look at. I, I'm i getting it? very impressed with the show elements that are starting to come mm-hmm. up from these types of openings that are, you know, all the characters and all of the sheer amount of confetti was yeah. absolutely hilarious. Not only in person, because I had friends of mine who were there. They, I swear mm-hmm. to this day, they're still finding random confetti all over the place. Given that Al was there, that meant they were live broadcasting to the Today Show that morning. And of course, you know, that's the sort of thing you do to, to make good television. Way too much confetti and way too many characters. <laughs> but but they didn't say anything, right? Like that's eh. the, the fact that they had the national audience right then and there. I was kind of hoping that they were going to share something. Well, but now that they have the Today Show Cafe open, I guess that's kind of one of the things that they can do whenever they want. Well, yeah, I guess. But uh, pivoting back to Terminator 2, 3, I guess the thing that's frustrating is in the same window of time, we had the teaser trailer for Terminator Dark Fate drop. And this is the first time James Cameron has come back to Terminator since, God, how long has it been? You know, he's producing this one, not directing. Mm -hmm. But here we, we had this trailer drop with, we got to see Arnold Schwarzenegger again. We got to see Linda Hamilton again. And this is the last time we've seen them play these characters mm-hmm. since they shot the T2 3D ride film back in May of 1995. I mean, that's 24 years ago. So I want to know what's going on inside of that building. Because again, there were construction noises and then there were not. Yeah. So. Well, and then they added the monsters that the store, the retail element was switched into a monsters. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, why? Granted, that is still the exit queue for the the monster show that's right next door. It kind of makes sense to have that as a synergy. That's kind of a gimme. Yeah. We don't know when the T2 3D replacement is, is opening. But on the other hand, we know Big Fire is opening out on CityWalk because you came across a listing. They've, they've begun hiring staff for this, right? Yep. So they're looking to hire over 300 new team members for Big Fire. Mm-hmm. Now, just as, as a refresher, it's a two-story full-service restaurant themed after a lakeside retreat. It's going to feature mm-hmm. a mix of natural design elements like cast iron and wood. And menu are includes dishes that are cooked over a wire, uh, wood fire grill, um, including mm-hmm. bison burgers, smoked fish, and sirloins. Universal is, is going all out. So you can actually go onto universalorlandojobs.com. They have Big Fire Grand Opening Team listings. And mm-hmm. if you wanted to work at a, you know, grand opening of a, a universal restaurant, now's your chance. 300 uh, things. And it looks like employees uh, can enjoy benefits such as free park admission discounts and more. For the restaurant itself, the web page actually went live mm-hmm. on the CityWalk portion of the Universal Orlando website just recently. And they stress that the restaurant will serve American fare specifically fire-kissed cuisine, yeah. which you alluded to with the wood. They're describing it to, and it's interesting, the the difference between the way they sell it to prospective employees versus people who, if they're hoping, sometime in the next couple of weeks will book a reservation there. But it's they, the official des- description of Big Fire calls it a bold new restaurant, a modern inspiration drawn from the nostalgia of cooking over open flames. And, you know, again, with the whole sh- whole notion of, you know, going back to those memorable family vacations where you're at that lakeside summer house. So consistency of th- sort of the story they're telling from both the employee and the guest side. Here they mention steaks, uh, freshwater cuisine. I think we talked previously about the specialty of the house, so to speak, is going to be the tableside s'mores. Mm-hmm. In closing out the description, they describe Universal City Walk as the epicenter of awesome. And for me, that was a, that was new. I had never heard that catchphrase before. Sure. But the interesting thing is you hammer on Google, this is how they've supposedly been describing Universal Orlando's dining, retail, and entertainment district So since May of 2017. So I clearly have not been paying attention, Dustin. 
Again, the one thing I have been paying attention to is the announcements for this year's Halloween Horror Night, especially the, the Orlando version. Mm-hmm. They're starting a full week earlier this year, September 16th. and Or September 6th. Oh, September 6th, my mistake. And running through November 2nd. Yep. And they just announced their second original content haunted house. And this one is called Depths of Fear. Did you see the announcement? Or? I did. Incredible. Mm-hmm. I think when we're talking about Universal Orlando and their Halloween Horror Nights, they continuously kind of build on the excitement year after year. Mm-hmm. The Haunted House takes its inspiration from a specific subset of horror movies. Now, this isn't just the classic like horror movies from, from the, the 40s, 50s. This is like Leviathan and, and Deep Star 6, where people are working Damn. on a mining platform or some sort of scientific observatory deep below the surface of the ocean, and something goes horribly, horribly wrong. And just going through this, when they say either some sort of creature begins to stalk the crew or people develop nitrous, uh, what is it, nitrogen uh, narcosis and then go mad, all of these descriptive words is exactly what you want when you go into a Halloween Horror Nights experience, right? Let's be honest here. Both Leviathan and Deep Star Six were terrible movies. But again, you can get a really good maze out of a terrible horror movie. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, midway through the maze, after the crew that are infected with this horrible parasite leap out at you, and I guess the the crew members who are fully transformed into the creatures leap out at you as well, but midway through the maze, the surviving members of the crew decide, well, the only way we can deal with this is to hit the auto-destruct. And so now you're halfway through the maze and you begin to hear the station will explode in two minutes you know and the countdown begins and it's like that's an interesting choice in an attraction where you can only move as fast as the people directly in front of you and i'm going to be intrigued to see this one in action because i i don't recall that they've ever had sort of a, a introduced a ticking clock into a maze before and you know i know it's it's only pretend Mm -hmm. but you know face it you know how many times have you been to a halloween horror night and we all know it's like look you know it's not a werewolf it's a teenager all right who's being paid not nearly enough to jump out you know for you know eight hours or the other part where people end up going through the the maze and they're sitting there or standing there like all right I'm still standing here. I've seen the same scare happen in front of me to three separate people because something's going on and there's just so many people in here. And obviously in the last couple of years, they've started to stagger the the entrances and having different, I don't know what they, they call them like internally, but it's like that slow down portion where mm. they'll kind of reset and allow people to be like, okay, we're now going to continue at a good pace. Mm-hmm. to keep the story alive so people aren't just being like oh there's a scare happening see there it is okay well it's it's going to be a challenging environment Absolutely. and you know in a weird sort of way I, I applaud them for trying this as a story element maybe they I, uh, correct me if i'm wrong or, you know if we have some listeners out there if they've ever done this sort of thing before or, you know kind of a timed element or an artificial ticking clock like i'd love to hear about it but Speaking of which, while we're talking about challenges, mm-hmm. obviously on our last show, we were talking about the Dueling Dragons, the, the mega queue they had for that that took you down into the catacombs and how they had to change that out when it became went from Dueling Dragons to Dragon Challenge with the Harry Potter theme. Mm-hmm. And, and now here we are with Hagrid's Magical Motorbike, or Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. And... I want to caution folks, we're going to talk just briefly here, some spoilers about what can be found in the queue. So if you want to go into this attraction not knowing all that much, jump ahead about two minutes or so, okay? And we'll pick it up then for you. Okay, so they have found some intriguing ways to sort of fill that giant queue space. And one of them, again, I think it's this is kind of a lovely surprise because it's, it's one of the highlights of Harry Potter and the Escape from Gringotts, but that that wonderful scene with the Pepper's ghost effect where we get to see Lordak in Bill Weasley's office looking for the keys and then Bill comes in. Mm-hmm. 
But they're doing something similar to that in Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike that you evidently, since we last saw Hagrid on his motorcycle, it's taken a beating and he's gone to Arthur Weasley to, you know, who of course is, uh, you know, if you, if you remember from the books and the Harry Potter films, is fascinated by muggle technology. And so he's there trying to get Hagrid's motorcycle running again, but he only sort of understands how the combustion engine works. <laughs> But Robbie Coltrane came back, and, and Mark Williams, the, the wonderful British actor who played uh, Arthur Weasley, also came back. And there's going to be that moment in the attraction. Likewise, to fill up this, this giant chunk of space, you're going to get to see what Hagrid basically does away from school, away from the prying eyes. So in much the same way that as we saw in Sorcerer's Stone, he has a fascination with dragons and dragon eggs. And it, it turns out in one of the rooms, sort of a throwback to what you were just talking about with the, the different dinosaur eggs. This is going to be a room filled with some dragon eggs that he's managed to score on the black market. And some of them are rolling around because they're about to hatch. And then to sort of set the story for one of the, at least one of the creatures we'll encounter on the actual ride, you get to see the makeshift nursery that Hagrid put together for the blast-ended scroots that he was growing. But again, <laughs> the notion is you kind of see half of the building taken out because these things outgrew their enclosure and then basically escaped into the Forbidden Forest. So I love the fact that it sounds like we're going to get a lot of show mm-hmm. to see while we're standing in this line to get to the, this coaster, which this is a story coaster, or at least that's what the folks at Universal Land are trying to get us to embrace here. It will reach 50 miles an hour mm-hmm. at some points in the attraction. And to put that in perspective, Disney's Seven Dwarf Mine Train at its fastest speed is going 34. So this thing's going to zip right along. They're saying because this ride is 5,053 feet in length, mm-hmm. it is the longest coaster in all of Florida. Oh, wow. But again, that ride doesn't open till June 13th. And meantime, the entire world is focusing on Galaxy's Edge. You know, the very first Galaxy's Edge, which opens at Disneyland Park this Friday, May 31st. And when Dustin and I get back from this commercial break, we're going to discuss the crucial role that the Universal Parks and Resorts played in Disney's decision to go forward with construction of this 14-acre Star Wars-themed land. Dustin, before we get started here, I guess it's important to talk about how the parks have been doing lately. And you've got a chart that lists how the parks have been doing over the past year. Yeah, so this is over at the Themed Entertainment Association, the TIA. Ah, TIA, yep. Mm -hmm. So they publish annual reports that are basically showcasing how the theme parks and themed entertainment is doing around the world. Now, keep in mind that with a lot of the numbers that come out, they are educated guesses because most of the bigger companies, Disney Universal, they don't share exactly how many people visit their theme parks. So when we're looking at it, there's always numbers that are, you know, really exciting to look at, but it's always an educated guess. So what we came out with was the fact that theme parks are growing in popularity all over the world. Disney is still by far and away the number one themed entertainment company in the world followed. um, And that's in the U.S. and worldwide. The number two is actually Merlin. And that's the company that owns Legoland, Madame Tussauds, Sea Life. They're number two in the world with 67 million visitors. Disney has 157 million. They're far and away ahead of the, the pack. And Universal came in third with 50 million guests. So that's pretty impressive when you're, you know, looking at the the overall theme park industry. What I would do if you are a huge theme park fan, head over to the Themed Entertainment Association. Uh, it's over at teaconnect.org. And they have a, it's a 46 page long report that goes into not just theme parks, we're talking museums, water parks, all the different trends around North America, Latin America, 
it's a theme park fans like you want to see this part of the reason of us talking about the wizarding world and galaxy's edge is that we're not just focused on what happened last year we want to get more people down to the theme parks and how are they doing that well they're creating these immersive lands like star wars galaxy's edge over the last week to 10 days Disneyland Resort employees, along with friends and family, have been previewing the 14-acre addition to that park. Sure. Disney is trying to keep this as under wraps as they can. In fact, there's this fascinating piece of uh, video that popped up on Twitter where basically they were doing their first test of the nighttime lighting mm -hmm. for Galaxy's Edge in Anaheim. And somebody standing in Frontierland, you know, in fact, I want to say along the rivers of America by Pirates of the Caribbean. And there's a cast member yelling at them to put down their iPhone because, you know, you shouldn't be filming that. It's like, I'm not even in the land. Yeah, I'm, I'm like in Frontierland. There's no yeah. construction fences around. But this is the thing. Disney is still trying to keep this under wraps. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons that they're trying to keep it under wraps is, frankly, this is the remaining moments that Disney can control this story. Yes. What's happening, especially now, is with the number of people who've gotten actually gotten into the land and been to Ogus Cantina or been to Savvy's workshop, people talk about how wonderfully detailed the land is, but at the same time, there's an awful lot of talk about price, about how pricey the merchandise is. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, if you go into Savvy's workshop and you want to build your own customized legendary lightsaber, it's not enough to just to have the force with you always. You better bring your wallet because <laughs> these beauties, which each come with their own kyber crystal, cost $199 a piece plus tax. Oh. On the other hand, you want to go to the Droid Depot and build your own custom robotic companion? That's going to cost you $99 a piece plus tax. And God help if you want a droid with personality because to purchase the chip that creates the personality is an additional $14. And that's the narrative that's starting to, to, to get out there. Now, to be fair, if you went to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter back in June of 2010, mm -hmm. uh, right after this theme park, within a theme park, opened at Universal Islands Adventure and then dropped by Dervish and Bangs and decided you were going to pick up some school supplies before you headed off to Hogwarts School of uh, Witchcraft and Wizardry, that got really pricey fast, too. Let's say... For the sake of argument, you decide you're going to cosplay as Hermione Granger. That sounds perfect. <laughs> so let's go through the list. Sure. Sorry, you're obviously going to need a set of Gryffindor robes. Okay. I would have done Slytherin, but that's just me. Okay. Back then, a robe, if you bought it at Dervish and Bangs, again, official, authentic Gryffindor robe, mm -hmm. $99. Yep. Then, if you wanted to pick up a replica of Hermione's wand, that was going to set you back $28.95. Sure. And again, this is Hermione. She's you know the, the very studious. So you're going to need a quill. Mm -hmm. The quill costs forty dollars. I understand it because it was an ostrich plume, but you know, beautifully handpicked, kind of clean the ostrich plume. And then you need a roll of parchment. Those were were ten dollars and ninety five cents a piece. Mm -hmm. Then to complete the outfit, you need a plush version of Crookshanks, her cat. Absolutely. Those were twenty four dollars and ninety five cents a piece. So, so if you put all, all that together, the cost of impersonating Hermione Granger. That's $203.95. I was there mm -hmm. for the grand opening. They were shooting something in the street. I ended up basically being forced into Dervish and Bangs and had to hang out in the store for 20 minutes or so. And it was just me and the cast members who were working there. So we got talking and they started telling stories about the people who come in here and that they must have everything Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. And it said... It really wasn't all that unusual to have somebody leave the store with two huge bags and to have spent just for themselves $350. Just sort of like, oh, look at all this cool stuff I got. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm saying here is that to spend $99 for the privilege of building your own custom droid and then paying an additional $14 for that droid to have a personality, right now if you go to Dervish and Bangs, you have to pay $1 more to get a robe. They've raised the prices of robes now from $99 to $114. Mm -hmm. And those wands, you know, the ones that used to be $28.95, yep. they're now $46 a piece. That's more than a 50% markup from what they were selling for back in June of 2010. And 
I'm told that the replica ones are that price point because the interactive ones are selling for $52. Mm-hmm. And those didn't get introduced to the park uh, till June of 2014 out ahead of Diagon Alley. And they originally sold for just 45 So by then, the price of the replica ones had crept up to $35. So I guess what I'm saying here is that all the people now who are talking about Oga's Cantina at Galaxy's Edge and how they can only get 125 to 150 people in at a time. And, and that standing room, I don't have a, an accurate count on how many people can, can sit down in booths or, or sit down at the bar. Well, and how many people are going to be showing up just to get photos? Well, there's that too. There's a lot of this type of numbers that we're, we're thinking ahead of the press days and the, the actual opening day. Mm-hmm. We don't. Yep. No, yet. So we, we mm. understand the numbers, the 125 to 150 patrons in Olga's Canteen. That's not a lot. That's well, similar to... Compared to what you could you could get into Savvy's workshop for the lightsaber thing, supposedly only 14 people at any one time can be building a custom lightsaber. That sounds like a low number, but do you remember the original Ollivander's experience in Hogsmeade? I do. I was there in, I think it was 2000 and, oh, 2011, early 2011. Mm. It was very hot outside. I remember this oh, yeah. because I took a photo of my mm. shoe melting mm. because we were standing outside of Ollivander's in the Florida heat without shade. And the other thing, frankly, the color of Hogsmeade Village, mm-hmm. where the line was, originally for Ollivanders, you're in up against that black faux rock next to a black building that is holding all of the heat, you know, the, the, in the Florida sun. In fact, I, I'm honestly not surprised to hear you talk about shoes melting. Well, because we, we talked about it many times with the fact that when Hogsmeade opened, they didn't realize how big of a success this was going to be until they saw the lines. And then when what happened over at Diagon Alley, you know, yes, Ollivanders is in Hogsmeade, but it's all about thinking long term and 25 people in a room after they've been spending upwards of an hour just waiting outside in this heat, they're going to want to spend a little bit more time in the in the gift shop. So it's it's a weird little uh, little catch 22. It was it was. And in fact, you know, I remember from being there from the opening, there was no queue. They had to put in, you know, that sort of faux, you know, that black metal railing to try to create queue space because that was open yep. previously. They just did not anticipate what a phenomenon that would be. I mean, in fact, I, I would argue in a lot of ways, the whole wand chooses the wizard moment and Ollivander's was the best show in all of the Wizarding World and because it was intimate. I mean, it happened right in front of you. Yep. But if they were working at peak efficiency, they could only get 150 people an hour through there. And, <laughs> and face it, Dustin, on, on a, a summer day when there are 29, 30,000 people inside of Universal's Islands of Adventure, that's one out of 25 people can get into, could have, have experienced that. And this was back in the day when they didn't allow for any of the merchandise of Harry Potter to be sold outside of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. They didn't have these pop-up wands spots in all the different stores. That was the only place you could get it. Yeah, and that changed fairly quickly. And in fact, it, it kind of speaks volumes that when they were designing Diagon Alley, uh, suddenly we had yet another Ollivanders, and the one that now we supposedly actually got in the movies. In fact, the one that was in Hogsmeade Village was now, oh, that's the Annex. Yes, that's the, the, the one we have away from Diagon Alley. Yep. But the one they built in Diagon Alley had three different presentation rooms, all carefully hidden. So you never knew that, you know, when you were in having your wand picks the wizard moment, that two identical rooms right nearby, uh, 50 other guests were having the exact same experience. They took the lessons from Hogsmeade and applied those to Diagon Alley. One of the bigger successes 
of uh, the Wizarding World obviously was Butterbeer, and we're seeing that Disney trying to sort of horn in on on that food-based retail opportunity Mm -hmm. with the blue milk and the green milk that's being served in Galaxy's Edge. And it's funny, already you can see the stories that are out there about Disney is selling blue milk for $7.99, which is $1 more than, you know, what Universal is charging for butterbeer, and it isn't Disney greedy, and it's like, now wait a minute. When the Wizarding World first opened in June of 2010, if you wanted just a plain, liquid, cold glass of butterbeer, that was $2.99. The frozen version sold for $3.99, and if you wanted either in a, a souvenir mug, that cost you $8.50. But this was this was the gold mine. This was the thing that everybody wanted to have while they were in the Wizarding World. And so when you have a hit product, you take advantage of that. I mean, I think we were talking Pandora, the world of Avatar. Mm-hmm. And how during the the preview section, when people would go to Wind Traders, the souvenir shop there, and there's the rookery where you can, you know, adopt a banshee. I know from having, again, covered that press event that Disney was hoping that that would be successful. But they never anticipated that when within a week of the land opening that they'd go, go clean what they had, what they thought was a six-month supply of those interactive... Banshees, they were gone yep. at a, a $49.95 price point. They tried to get the merch to the park at the lowest possible delivery cost. So it typically comes on the literal slow boat from China. Oh, absolutely. After I finished working at the parks, I came up and worked in the stores. And mm-hmm. one of the first uh, introductions to this phenomenon was mm-hmm. uh, the summer of Frozen. And mm-hmm. oh my, <laughs> yeah, Disney yeah. consumer products kind of missed the boat on that one. So after that, we had a lot of uh, different, um, I'm not sure whether or not the at that point in time, they, they realized exactly how big of a phenomenon they had. And, you know, we look at movies making a lot of money, but as soon as they come out into the merchandise realm, how many people want that for their home, for their kids, for their offices, wherever it is. In talking with folks at Disney Consumer Products, they mentioned when they were looking to do their buy for Frozen, Mm -hmm. it's like Tangled was popular. Yes. Frozen should be popular. It has two princesses. I don't know if we should order double the amount of merch because there were two princesses, Anna and Elsa. But all right, let's split the difference. Let's order one and a half times the amount of merch we did for Tangled. It was gone before Christmas, and they were scrambling to try to get replacement merch. You know, strike while the iron was hot Mm -hmm. because you know they didn't know then you know whether Frozen would blow itself out. Now, now conversely, with the the Banshees for Pandora, the World of Avatar, they had to fly. The Banshees in from China yeah. to try to get them there as quickly as possible. And, and within two weeks, they were back on the shelf. But interestingly enough, Disney saw this as an opportunity. And during the period that they were out of stock, Disney jumped the price of adopting a Banshee from $49 to $59.95. Yep. Well, and, and now we're seeing the additional things popping up. So not only can you get the Banshee, but then you get the Banshee holder. And then you yeah. realize, oh, I can get all these these additions. That's where it all comes back to. And and I'm we talked about it, oh, a number of episodes when we were uh, talking and bringing up the fact that Universal was celebrating their uh 20 millionth butterbeer sold and if you haven't heard like if you haven't listened to that episode in a while go back bring it up because it'll it'll all strike very uh, familiar to what we're talking about right now with star wars yep 2014 it's four years after the opening of hogsmeade we're opening diagon alley and during this window of time Universal makes the decision to bump the cost of all forms of butterbeer. And this is around the same time they introduced hot butterbeer. Mm-hmm. They jumped the price to $4.99. A bargain. And then January 2017, another cross-the-board price raise. They jump it from $4.99 to $6.99. And people don't even blink. They want that butterbeer. Mm-hmm. But June of 2010... 
$2.99 for a glass of butterbeer. That, that's a 133% markup. I guess for me to have people complaining about, oh my God, you know, blue milk is $1 more than butterbeer. It's like, do you remember when you paid $2.99? Yep. The other hard lesson here, folks, you, right now, yes, they're selling these legacy banshee, or excuse me, legacy lightsabers for $199. Yes. And the droids are $99 plus $14 for the uh the personality chip dustin you and i both know this is the introductory price oh yeah <laughs> if you're complaining now about that what are you gonna say when the price jumps to for the the lightsabers to 225 or 250 because you know that's coming in fact if you go on ebay right now the people who buy these things and immediately turn around and, and try to get top dollar for them Oh, there, there are full stores. So this is something that's changed in between, I'd say, 2008, 2010 into today. You now have personal shoppers. Mm-hmm. You have services where people will go into the parks, buy a piece of merchandise, and send it to you wherever you live. Mm-hmm. And that's not just from the official sources. There are people who will go in and buy. And we've seen this with um, the pop vinyls how they will mm-hmm. do limited edition pop finals. People will go in, buy five to 10 or 20 of them and walk out with you know this huge bag knowing that they're already sold on eBay. And mm-hmm. it's a different kind of mentality now because the parks on both sides, Universal and Disney, are realizing that most of these individuals are annual pass holders. And there's a little piece of wording that says that you can't make money as an annual pass holder on Disney property, you can't conduct business. So there is a limit to this craziness and this this fan culture of I need to have this right here, right now. I can't wait until we go down with our family or that will change. But what we're talking about in this segment of, of the show is prices now will change as soon as they realize where that happy medium is between someone standing in front of them with their credit card out saying, I want this and not blinking an eye. And then the next, Mm. add an extra $50 onto that lightsaber. Okay, they may think long term, but they're still gonna get it. Well, what happens if they Mm. raise it up? And it's a, a great conversation, but I always caution people, Galaxy's Edge isn't open yet in Orlando at Walt Disney World, and things will change between here and then. Always keep that in the back of your mind. Disney didn't pluck that $7.99 blue milk price out of the blue. Mm -hmm. It literally was completely aware, you know, nobody's more aware of how well Butterbeer sold, or more to the point, what Universal is selling Butterbeer for these days. Than Disney. In fact, I want to thank Disney Disc listener Catherine the Great. She passed along a survey that I think is a, a wonderful way to close out today's show to, to sort of reinforce the fact of of how closely Disney and Universal pay attention to one another. Because mm-hmm. out ahead of the opening of, and this is a Universal Orlando <laughs> survey. This is not a Disney. This is Universal coming with a Universal logo and from a Universal email. This isn't Universal Hollywood asking about how Disneyland, which is 30 miles away, or how people how people are aware of Galaxy's Edge. This is Universal Orlando asking about it. So anyway, uh, this, these are the specific questions that were asked on this survey. It's like, how would you describe your level of Star Wars fandom? And your five choices were hardcore fan. I am the most intense, knowledgeable fan with a lot of love of Star Wars. Uh, You're a dedicated fan. You really like Star Wars. I'm a casual fan. I like Star Wars. I'm a new fan. I recently have taken an interest in Star Wars. And finally, indifferent. I know about Star Wars, but really don't care. And then they asked pretty much the same question about what is your level of Harry Potter fandom? Mm -hmm. And again, hardcore, dedicated, casual, new fan, or indifferent. And then the really interesting one where they gave you the opportunity was a sliding scale. You could literally move a button back and forth. And do you consider yourself more of a fan of Harry Potter 
or a fan of Star Wars. And one in extreme was much more a fan of Harry Potter mm-hmm. uh, or much more a fan of Star Wars. And there was a place where you could drop the, the button right in the middle of the line and say, I am equally a fan of both. I think that speaks volumes about where this is headed. Yeah. From Disney's side of the fence, they are totally following the Wizarding World playbook. I mean, you know, I know there's a lot of people who are already talking about going to the bizarre Galaxy's Edge out in Anaheim and, oh my God, the shops and the stalls and all the merch that's there. And it it, it seems like overkill. And it's now, wait a minute, <laughs> when Universal opened the Wizarding World in June of 2010, they were completely upfront about the fact that they just developed over 600 different items to to line the store shelves with and we've talked about the rows we've talked about the parchment but we haven't touched on the collectible pins or the patches or the candy i'm just looking behind me and i'm like i have the pins we have the the frogs the chocolate frogs Mm -hmm. you have the t-shirts you have the consumables the things that you won't take home with you and there's so many different layers that go in and this is not something where they've come in overnight they have been planning this since Mm -hmm. long before they made the announcement at uh at d23 that this was coming and Mm -hmm. that's a very i don't want to say what's happening at at d23 with you know star wars but Mm -hmm. i want to get some of that merchandise that i know will be there but let's not forget that, you know, we recently had Disneyland Paris announce its $2.2 billion expansion. And that includes for Frozen Land and mm-hmm. a souped up uh, production central area that becomes a Marvel Land. And, and yes, included in this plan is a Galaxy's Edge. And if you look over on the Universal side of the fence, there are no slouches either. We've got the two Harry Potter themed land in Orlando, Diagon Alley and Hogsmeade. And if you look at the plans for the now under construction Universal Studios Beijing, they've got, you know, their own Harry Potter. So there, this is continuing to happen. And the reason that Disney got in the Star Wars business is that Universal was making so much damn money off of Harry Potter and they, they wanted their own immersive experience. Yeah where people would have just have the same feeling that those Dervish and Bang employees talked about walking into the store and I don't care what it is. I want it. It's Harry Potter. Yeah. Families dropping $1,500 because they have two kids and both kids have different houses. So they're not going to get just the generic Gryffindor. You're going to get all the, absolutely. And that adds up. (laughs) Looming up over the horizon is Universal Studios or Universal's Fantastic World. The, the park that they're building, you know, just across the way from the Orange County Convention Center. And that's going to have at least one Nintendo-themed land. In fact, that's where it gets really interesting, Dustin, because Disney doesn't have anything like that. When when Universal starts putting the Nintendo ride-shows and attractions in the park, mm-hmm. Disney doesn't have anything like that in the gaming world yeah and it's going to be very interesting to see when people start going to the universal parks says oh my god i can visit the world of my favorite games how does disney respond to that well because disney's tried we remember club penguin we remember (sighs) many different you know iterations of online and uh, iphone games and all this other stuff disney hasn't shown in the past that there's kind of this pattern where they get into gaming they want to have a huge success they don't have a huge success and they then lay off everybody who's associated with the gaming effort and they go with an outside company for a couple of years and then they get frustrated because it's like we're paying this company to make games for us and our profit margins are so low. It's like, okay, we're taking it over again. We're bringing it back in-house. And it's a, this endless pattern of they just don't have the patience to do it. And meanwhile, here's Universal that was smart enough just to cut the deal with Nintendo. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that will be a topic we'll discuss 
on a, a future universal joint. But but until we do that episode, where can folks find you? Because you've recently launched a bunch of new shows. Yeah, so everyone knows that I'm over at Steps to Magic, uh, Trip Planning, uh, Disney Universal. But as you can tell, I, I really do like talking about uh, about theme parks. And it's not just Universal. And I, I absolutely love the, the Universal joint. And it's, it's one of my favorite shows to sit down and talk about Universal. But... I like theme parks. So what we did, there's uh, me and, and two other gentlemen, Chris Bond, who is one of the minds behind Evil Dead the Musical, as well as Mark Andrada, who is a uh, comedian, director, been with Second City, you know, really funny guy. Uh, we came together and we launched uh, the We Like Theme Parks podcast. So over at iTunes or wherever you get your theme, your um podcast we have about six or so episodes uh, up so far and we just get around and we talk about theme parks and it's disney universal uh three fans just talking about what we like and what's what's coming we have our own little uh jive on the news but at the end of the day i just i i have so much fun talking about this kind of stuff that you know head over to uh we like theme parks.com and uh let me know what you think Okay, that sounds like definitely something worth listening. Well, to. and we've also got uh, coming up. Do do we want to talk about the the event? Oh dear Lord, yes, uh, yes. We are are now entering. It's the home stretch. We have our. Universal Holidays at Universal event that's going to be held in November. The nice folks at Storybooks Destinations are handling the travel side of this thing, but uh, it's going to be myself and Dustin. This is November... November 15th. So um, 15th. we're at uh, Lowe's Sapphire Falls Resort. If you head over to storybookdestinations.com, they have a, a sidebar that has uh, announcing the next live event with Jim Hill. It is a packed, solid Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then ending out the Monday with a, uh, a meetup at, at Voodoo Donuts. And we've talked about it a, a number of times about how excited we are to look at various construction with Jurassic Park slash World and Hagrid's. And I'm just excited to be able to get down there and talk with Jim. We'll do walkthroughs. It'll just be a blast. We're very much looking forward to it and would love for you folks to come be a part of the event. So uh, if you're interested at all, head on over to Storybook Destinations. They have some details about that. Meanwhile, on my side of the fence in regard to podcasts, we have Disney Dish with Len Testa. We have Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. We have Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. And I mentioned those three gentlemen because they're all right now in Anaheim waiting to get into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So uh, love to hear what they have to say about that. On the other hand, we also have the Marvelous Disney podcast, which focuses on the amazing world of uh, Marvel Entertainment, and then we have the I Want That podcast, which is the uh, the new merch show that I do with Michelle Valladolid, and God help us, we're going to wade into all the merch that they're selling at Galaxy's Edge, so that'll only be a 35-part series. <laughs> Head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our show, or if you really, really, really like what we do here, uh, you could subscribe to Bandcamp because we've got some fun exclusive shows that we're going to be doing for Bandcamp. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. It's been groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network.